danger is stealing in as relapse hums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the Hello and welcome to episode 345 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Melrose, Massachusetts. I'm Nate Mavis. With me from Owings Mills, Maryland is Andrew Brokus. How are you, Andrew? Uh, I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? I'm doing all sorts of ways, mostly good ones. Yeah, life is life is good. Uh, turns out there's still a pandemic. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, um, this is having... Many interesting consequences, but um, we're here. We're talking about poker, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on the line with you. Yeah, have have you? Um, are you playing poker online at all, or are you just uh, not playing poker at all at the moment? I am playing almost exclusively uh, play money heads up pot limit Omaha eight or better, but that's a longer story. Oh, <laughs> is, is it a longer story you can tell? I mean. It's it's no, but um, but that's 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 my poker life these days, and it's um very fun, and I'm thinking a lot about Pot Living Omaha eight or better, and I have uh very little time for other poker, but am excited at you know where poker culture is going during COVID. What uh, I, I'm, I, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean. People are signing up for our Patreon, really. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a polite way of saying that one of our business ventures uh, seems to be a, a reasonable match for the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it's been surprising to me. I mean, I kind of thought that my coaching, um, the, the, the demand for coaching might drop off, which would have been unfortunate for me since like my own opportunities for, for playing poker also dropped off. You know, I, I really was not playing online prior to the to the pandemic. And then once I stopped going going in for live poker, um, which was even a bit before the casinos shut down, you know, I started playing more online, but I was, you know, it was, certainly would uh, I was thinking it would be nice to have, you know, coaching to, to fill in some of that time. But I thought you know, we might see a drop off in, in coaching as well. And really, I saw, if anything, the opposite. I mean, I did eventually have two people who, um, you know, unfortunately, they lost uh, work. And so they weren't able to keep up with with coaching. But um, so, I mean, I, I saw a little bit of the, the kind of like economic impact of it in that way. But in terms of the like demand for you know people playing poker, uh, what really seemed to happen was that a lot of people started playing online, I guess like I had done, you know, who had not played either, in some cases, had not played online ever, uh, or had not played online since 2011, when, uh, as Americans, when they sort of lost the ability to play on, like, poker stars and full tilt, and so that led to really an increase in interest for, I mean, it might have been people had more time to, to do coaching or more time at home to do coaching also, but I think a lot of it was just, you know, people were unaccustomed to playing online poker, or if you were exclusively a live player for nine years, and then all of a sudden you started playing online, I mean, you are going to see some things online that you wouldn't have seen that much of if you were just playing like 2-5 live, and then you tried to, you know, jump into playing, even smaller, even just jumped into playing like a 10 cent, 25 cent, 6 max game online like I think that's going to be tougher than the two five live game that you were playing and is going to involve more 
you know, three betting and people with uh, more like varied, precise preflop ranges than what you're accustomed to seeing in, in a live game. It's just, it, I think it's going to play, you know, quite differently. And so I had a lot of people coming to me and wanting to, to talk about those things, which was uh, great from my perspective. <laughs> yeah. And they also have to play six handed, probably. Right. Yeah. That's like just the, the shape of the pots you're in is different. Like, even if you're in a tough live game, you're just in a tough live game where, you know, 15, 20% of the hands at least, you know, somebody from the first couple seats is in it. And that's totally different online. Right. And typically it's like much less three betting when you're live, which means more, and people have, have looser preflop ranges and more passive preflop ranges. So you're getting like more multi-way single race pots live and online, you're getting a lot more heads up pots, a lot more three bet pots, um, even more four betting than, than people are used to seeing. And so, you know, there's just, there's a lot to adapt to there. I think people are used to playing very exploitatively in some of those situations, just assuming like, oh, if someone three bets me, they have, you know, queen plus a race king uh, a lot and you can't make assumptions like that i mean you probably shouldn't make assumptions like that live but there are certainly people for whom that's true live and online that's um even at smaller stakes that's a lot less true yeah i mean and i whenever i play a bunch of live then play some online i realize how much i depend on physical information like even if i don't get in the car and drive home and think yeah. like wow today was a day where there was so much going on physically like the three betting example is so good where like against any player type or so many of them, I, I'm just always going to have some sense of what kind of a three bet it is at least a few times over the course of the day. And then like I go and I play online and all of a sudden it's a three bet and I don't know anything else about it. I just know like that it's a three bet and I feel lost. Yeah, it's, I, I've gotten that sense talking hands with even like live hands where, because I really was a live, an online player almost exclusively until Black Friday, which is really when I started playing more live poker. Um, so like I've always come at it from a you know fundamentals first sort of perspective. And then the live reads were something that I added on top. And I think for you, it's always been the opposite of that. Not that you don't have a lot of technical skill, but I think that your, your first um I, I think you more kind of start from a place of what physical information am I getting from this player? And then you mix in the kind of knowledge of what the like fundamental play might, might be in that situation. Yeah. Um, and and no, so totally. when, when I've like shared hands with you, you know, so often your question is like, well, what kind of three that was it? And I'm like, I don't know. What does that mean? What kind of three that was? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's no, but you're exactly right. It's like, that's just part of how I think about the hand. And then, and then the ranges come later then the theory comes later. Um, and that's like a strength and a weakness of mine in some ways, but it's definitely just how I approach the game. And, um, yeah, it makes online poker hard. It's yeah. like on the great British baking show where people, uh, get into the tent and then they bake something and maybe they've practiced, but they've practiced all the parts individually and they are not used to spending four and a half hours in a row, uh, you know, making like a huge cake from scratch with, with judges breathing down their necks. In case you're wondering what the first television show I've watched in years is, you just found out. <laughs> I actually have seen a, a fair bit of the Great British, I'm not a fair bit, but like relative to my general television consumption, a fair bit of the Great British Baking Show myself. Um, yeah, o over 90% of all TV I've seen in the last two and a half years has been the Great British Baking Show. Oh, well, I, I cannot claim a percentage like that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, so I, I was going to say, I, I think that experience, though, of especially if if you're even more in that Nate Mavis camp of you know you, you don't 
like you're you're so centered on live reads where you don't even really know how to make a decision in the absence of those live reads. I think that the the experience of playing online. I mean, I understand it's going to be unpleasant. A lot of people just aren't going to enjoy it because they don't. You know, it's not. They just feel like they're playing lost or or blind or whatever. But if you do want to get better at at poker and want to put yourself through that. Uh, I think it is a very like forcing yourself to make decisions based on something other than you sort of sizing up the person that you're uh, playing against is going to be really valuable at the other end of that. Uh, I mean, it might be an uncomfortable process, but I think that you're putting yourself in a spot where you have to do that so that you can add that tool to your toolbox is, is a really valuable thing to do. And likewise, I mean, I think that I was certainly making some mistakes when I did go from playing. And you see that, I mean, I see this a lot now, like, at, you know, years when I have played the WSFP and you've seen these online, um, the European players who mostly play online and, and or with like recreational players in Europe, which is maybe different than recreational players in the US. And you just see them do certain things where you're like, yeah, that probably is what a solver would do, but it was a terrible decision against that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and these yeah. are like very good poker like many of these are probably people who I don't like I don't know that I could beat them if we were just like you know like they would probably put up better results than I would in like the Sunday million or something but um the, you know, there are just things where you're like that was objectively like a, an inexcusable mistake if you like thought at all about the person you were involved in this spot with yep 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 that's right and that's like the I mean and sometimes there's that like meta level thing where they're not even paying attention and, and then it's like sometimes they just don't know the player types and they just aren't familiar with live players and, and some of the people you see in Vegas but then like sometimes it's like boy if I were a live expert and for whatever reason the main event was online or something like you can bet I would have practiced playing online before I put up $10,000 and like these, you know, whatever online experts come and play live. And it's like, they're not even trying to adjust. Like <laughs> That's, that's the worst part, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's the psychological adjustments too, of um, just the like slower pace of online, not just of live, not just slower in terms of like fewer hands per hour, but you know, fewer tournaments per day, fewer tournaments per week. I think a lot of those people really aren't I, I mean as i was not the first time that i did like a full uh a full summer grind at the wsfa uh the, the sort of psychological toll that that takes where you know you can lose for for two weeks straight and it's really not like hardly even anything to blink an eye at variance wise <laughs> it's not like a extreme deviation from uh from the mean or something but that's you know like it's if you are you know putting in heavy volume playing online you're gonna have some like decent even if you're net loser over two weeks like it's probably not just gonna be you get your ass kicked in every single tournament you play for two weeks but you know playing live poker that can happen easily yeah absolutely it's also funny sometimes to watch those people get short stacked in a tournament and have to play for like two hours with 20 big blinds <laughs> yeah. in one tournament and they just have no idea what they're doing <laughs> like, like, why, like like they've never had as few that like they never have fewer than maybe 400 big blinds in play across all their tables online and like the idea that they just have to sit there like grinding out 20 big blinds they look so miserable yeah. <laughs> so this actually kind of ties in with something i wanted to brag about a little bit um which is i i did have my best weekend online since the the start of the pandemic last weekend um which was nice but it was it involved final tabling this tournament on america's card room that i mostly hate and like that i almost didn't play because of how much i hate it which is <laughs> they have this uh it's called the 50 dollars special or at least it used to be called that i think they might have changed the name um but it, it's five hours of late registration <laughs> which is like <laughs> classic america's card room shenanigans <laughs> 
Yeah. Five hours of it. And like the the clear right play here is just to late register this. Like especially on America's Card Room where some of their tournaments have such crazy late registrations. Um it's generally gonna be correct. Uh you know, people waffle a bit on the like the late registration thing, but I think when it has that much late registration, I mean unless you are really just kind of playing for the experience. You probably better are better off like late registering if you if it's not like you know a super important tournament to you which which to me like it's not really towards the top of the buy in range that I'm playing but it draws a huge field I mean it had almost four thousand players in it so you know the the top prizes are are pretty significant and it is it's a pretty soft field and uh, I mean it's it's a a good structure in the sense of it's a structure that rewards skill but it's not a good structure in the sense of you know table hours per um or you know dollar per per table hour or whatever uh, but because yeah. of the time that it starts, so like like the Sunday tournaments on ACR started, uh, or the the two hundred dollar uh, like special Sunday tournament on ACR starts at two thirty. So that's usually when I start my play, and then I just sort of register everything. I think the the fifty dollar one starts at one o'clock, so I late register that by a little bit. But it's I'm still like there's still three and a half hours of late registration available after I'm entering it. Uh, but I just kind of start everything I'm going to play at that time, and then I play until I have nothing left. And um, it is a, a, a bad but a fairly common experience. To, you know, you're like seven hours into playing online, and the only thing you have still going is this stupid like fifty dollar tournament that you're not even in the money <laughs> of. Yet. Yeah. And you know, it ended up eventually. It was like you know, I played for twelve hours, but I did have a pretty nice score as a result of making the final table. But you know, it very easily could have been an outcome where even if I cashed it, like I still would have been you know net down for the day, and it would not have been worth you know playing for ten hours to get the like hundred dollar profit or whatever that i've got for uh, for, for cashing it in, in even like several hours into the tournament you still weren't like or several hours into the money it still wasn't like you know maybe four or five buy-ins it wasn't like a huge payout yeah well congratulations Thanks. and at least that didn't happen to you when the weather was nice it's always worse than when the weather's nice I yeah think. no that that's an excellent point um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, these these uh, like these tournaments on, on ACR, some of them just have such like brutally long uh, late registration period, and it gets brutal too because the um, if you're not really budgeting, like I mean, it's fine for me because I can play as many fifty dollar tournaments as I want. But for people who are like shot taking these things, like I think it's hard to resist the allure of reentering them once you've decided to play them. But it does. It, like it feels much more expensive. Like I think it's not really the right way to think about it. Is like I spent two hundred dollars on one tournament. Like you played four fifty dollars tournaments. <laughs> they just happen to be have the same tournament ID number. But I think for people who are a little bit more like shot taking or experience buying with it, it's um, it, it probably is encouraging them to make some like bad decisions uh, or, or to like think badly about how they're. Um, about you know what what they're doing when they register the tournament yeah that seems exactly right you ready to talk strategy yes um can, can, can we get a word from our sponsors before the strategy segment yes please today's strategy segment uh is brought to you by me uh one of the weird things about covid one of the weird consequences of covid in my life is that i am going back independent uh very grateful for the time i spent at alphabet um and now i'm leaving and by the time you listen to this i am probably an independent uh, software developer my best tools are django and angular slash typescript um I work in Django and Python every day of my life, pretty much. Um, I am relentlessly focused on getting better 
to the point of using spaced repetition uh, software to learn more and more about Django and Python. Uh, my modal client is somebody who needs uh, a, a data sophisticated website built, you know, something with a data component, but also like a whole website, usually with a whole bunch of business logic of some sort involved somehow. Um, anyway, Probably you don't want to hire me, but maybe you do or know somebody who does. Nate Mavis, independent software developer. Uh, yeah, I guess that's that's the poker player in me too. You know, the uh, independent again after after these years, um, and I'm excited about it. Do you want to tell people how they should contact you? Yes, you can contact me. One way to do it is on Twitter, Nate Mavis at. You can also just go to my website, www.natemavis.com, and there you will find any number of ways to contact me. And you can also read things I believe about software um, and also like parenting books, but, you know, in this context, software. So thank you, Andrew, for letting me advertise on the show. And people probably know this, but Mavis is spelled M-E-Y-V-I-S. Yeah, that's right. Yes, M-E-Y-S. It's, uh, I, I've just been learning the uh, phonetic alphabet. It is amazing how often I need to spell things on the phone and the peace of mind that comes with just having the phonetic alphabet uh, uh, memorized is uh, really nice. I guess I talked about this with Matt Glassman on the last show a little bit, all the cognitive infrastructure that we owe to the government. Um this is that's a general thing I've been thinking about, and specifically, boy, is it nice to to know some radio telephony stuff. So when you say that's like Alpha, Bravo, etc. Yeah, okay. Charlie, Delta, Echo, right, right. Foxtrot. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep going. I actually knew those ones. I'm not sure I know what G is. That G Geronimo. Golf. Oh yes, I don't. I'm not sure I knew. I, I feel like I don't hear the G as much. Um. Yes, uh, I guess I'll, I'll also add, since I was mentioning my coaching before, um, you can contact me at Thinking Poker on Twitter, or uh, you can write me, Andrew, at thinkingpoker.net if you're interested in coaching. Um, there's a couple different options. I do you know, it's sort of what you probably think of as typical coaching, which is be like us having conversations over uh, Skype. And there's also an option at half that rate, which is to... Um, I'll record custom videos, and this actually is going to intersect with the um, the, the nature of our uh, strategy segment today, but um, I can do a couple different kinds of uh, custom training videos. So this is like kind of what, like what you would see on a tournament poker edge or something, but it's created specifically for you. So you would send me either a database of hands that you played online or a hand history of a specific tournament or a cash game session you wanted me to look at. Uh, it could even just be you know, questions <laughs> that you had, and then I'll record a video of myself you know, going over those things and you'll kind of get feedback on the things that you should work on to improve. I'll try to address what I think are likely like misunderstandings, give you, point you towards resources to help you better understand uh, certain concepts. And then also secondarily, you'll get to see like how I'm using a tool like Poker Tracker to um, identify those those problem areas in the first place. So there's that sort of, in addition to getting the, the information about uh, actual things that you need to work on, you also get to see the like process of how I'm finding those things in the first place, which I think some people find valuable. 
Um, so this strategy segment actually originated from uh, the, the Patreon strategy show that we do now, uh, Thinking Poker Daily, which is uh, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily if you want to uh, support us that way. Um, so I, I know, Nate, you've already recorded a bit on this, and I don't want to repeat that too much, but do you just want to sort of summarize what was the question that, that motivated this and what have you already said on the subject? People who want to hear the full thing can listen to it on uh, on the on the Patreon. But yeah, so first, if you get this through the Patreon, you get a story about me uh, getting stuck in my car during a pandemic on a cold day. So, and I'm not going to tell that story here. You don't get that story unless you subscribe to the Patreon. Okay, this is so. this is seriously exclusive. I have not heard this story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so on the Patreon, I talked for a while and found myself also wanting to follow up with you, which I guess we're doing on the regular show, which is great, uh, about self-improvement and adopting the mindset of, of leak finding and being really into finding your own leaks. And this began with me sort of thinking about what features of character, like what, what capacities of soul uh, turn out to be actually conducive to looking for mistakes that you made and looking for dispositions that you have to make mistakes and correcting them. So this is like the, the leak finder mindset. Uh, and one thing that's interesting to me is that going around talking about how meta-rational you are is not really correlated in my experience with actually being meta-rational. Like maybe you lop off some of the lower end of the distribution, but a lot of the most meta-rational people and most uh, self-improvement oriented people um, don't really talk about it that much. So that's just like interesting to me. And I think the practical relevance of that is that um, I think the advice to you know, cultivate this as part of your identity might be a bit overrated. Uh, then in the poker context, I talked a bit about how to really go about finding leaks. Um, and the first one is to really want to find the leaks. And I, I always think in a Socratic spirit, uh, spirit, you know, like if you, if you read some ancient philosophy, you absorb Socrates lesson and the idea, uh, one sort of idea or a simplified version of it is that being wrong uh, like harboring false beliefs is is one of the worst things that can happen to you. And you should be so grateful when somebody cures you of a false belief or when you manage to cure yourself of a false belief. Um, so, you know, in, in the poker context, like what I don't want to say is like, oh, if I talk to Andrew, I might discover that I'm playing this hand bad and I'll feel bad about it. Like, the conversation is not causing me to be a bad poker player. Andrew is not causing me to be a bad poker player. My own reflection is not causing that, you know, it's, it's discovering that something is already wrong. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like getting the blood test and your numbers are out of whack. Like you might not be able to see your blood directly uh, when all is going well, but like, you know, it's, it's wrong before, before it came out of your body, you know, and, and you have to like want, to find it, yeah. The the, the metaphor I used on, in the Patreon was like the hundred dollar bills are already buried in your backyard. So you know, don't be in denial about it. Just go get that money. <laughs> um, and you know, so so how actually do you do that? Like I talked about doing complete audits and and looking at more in different kinds of hands and more different decision points of hands, like not just the river call, but also the flop bet or the flop bet size or whatever uh, that, that set up the situation. And also, this is something that I do all the time when I get lost in a hand and then I get bailed out because 
you know, for whatever reason, I win the pot anyway. Uh, I don't get in a tough spot, even though I'm confused. Like, don't just breathe a sigh of relief and go on to the next hand. Like, embrace your conclusion. Maybe be happy you got bailed out. But then, like, actually think about the spot <laughs> and uh, think about sort of counterfactually all the difficult things that you could have had to do that were sort of closely related to the things that you actually had to do but weren't actually that. So, like, expand the scope of the audits of your gameplay both to more hands that you actually played and then also like expand the counterfactual width of your search and and look along more possibilities that didn't uh, actually happen to you um and and really want to be wrong you know really want to find those mistakes okay i talked for a while please react um yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I have a, a very biased view on this because the people who are you know, contacting, whether it's for, for coaching or even just writing to us with questions for the show or whatever, I mean, I guess that's like a, self, a self-selected group of people who already like want to be wrong or are opening themselves up to criticism. Um, I mean, I don't, do, do you get the sense that there are a lot of people who are kind of broadly like, I want to get better at poker, but I don't. Like, I guess it doesn't, doesn't strike me as the sort of thing that a person is like consciously, you know, uh, you know, not 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 wanting to find out about the leak because it'll feel bad or something. Maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying there, but I, I'm having trouble. Um, no, I, who I, is that person? It's the person who thinks there's a magic preflop strategy. Um, it's a person who thinks that maybe the game's changed a little bit and they just need to update something, you know, right around the corner. Um, you know, it's the person who brings the car in to, to, to the mechanic and just kind of hopes they need an oil change. And it's not that, like, you know, a $1,000 uh, engine job is necessary. It's like, uh, you know, it's it, I, I, I need help, just not too much of it. You know, it would I've been playing this game for 20 years. If I were fundamentally still not very good at it, that would hurt too much. And, you know, please, please just tell me the magic preflop strategy. Uh, please just tell me these few things. Um, yeah. You know, you. It's go- going to the nutritionist, you know, it's like I can cut out, I can cut out saltines, but don't make me cut out Ritz crackers too. You know? <laughs> um, yes. I actually kind of think the, the whole idea of thinking in terms of leaks actually sort of falls in that in that category um i i think that for most people the issue is not at least the idea that when i hear leak i tend to think uh, maybe i'm thinking too literally about this but that you know someone wants to know like okay well i'm uh my my, like turn c betting frequency is lower than it should be and that's a leak so like i need to raise my turn c betting frequency or my, my my fold to flop frequency is too high i need to get my fold to flop frequency down and those I tend to think of as more like symptoms of a problem. And your goal is not really to fix the symptom, but to, to use the symptom as a marker to point you towards the underlying issue. And the underlying issue is ultimately one of thought process. It's not, um, it's not just needing to do like something different in, in one specific 
spot. It's like there's a reason why you are not battling the turn often enough, or there's a reason why you're folding to too many flop bets or something like that. And it's not even necessarily a problem on that street. It's what we might call the Ed Miller pyramid problem. Uh, I think especially when it comes to something like folding to flopsy bets. For a lot of people, I mean, it might be that they're they're folding a little too easily to a bet, or like they should be a little more stubborn when they have like overcards and backdoor draws or something. But that's not really the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is usually that they're calling too much pre-flop. Um, maybe they're calling with some hands that would be better played as folds. They might also be calling with some hands that would be better played as three bets. So the problem then is once they're facing a C-bet on the flop, they already have too many weak hands in their range, and there's not really a good way. Like At that point, folding might be the best thing they can do. Right? So it's not that they actually need to um, start calling or raising more hands on the flop. And so if you only looked at it as a leak in the sense of, um, oh, I, I see that this number, like I, I ran, a, um, or you know, I just, like, I, I got a list of like optimal stats from somewhere and I saw that my flop C-bet fold was high. And so I, I stopped folding to so many C-bets. Like you very well might make the problem worse if, if that was what you did. If you just treat it as a symptom rather than trying to figure out why is it so high in the first place. Um, and if, if the problem really is just that you need to not be calling so many pre-flop raises, you know, that's, that's what you would want to get to the, the bottom of. Uh, and so I think for most people, it's really more just that they need to understand core poker concepts better. And once you understand those concepts, then that leads to cascading changes throughout the game. So I think that just trying to go through and find like very specific leaks is, um, I think it's, it's kind of just the, the wrong way of going about it. And I, mean, I know this probably sounds kind of self-serving because so much of my like, you know, like coaching or strategy material that I've created is, is thought process oriented, but really it's the other way around. Like the reason my stuff is so thought process oriented or is geared more towards understanding than towards giving you a, a bunch of examples of how to play specific situations is that I think that's the more important thing. <laughs> I, I think that once you understand uh, the, the, the concepts or the heuristics that drive the strategy, then you can find the right play in any situation versus just trying to you know learn to play one one specific situation differently. I think, I mean, again, taking the, the concept of leaks very literally, I'm thinking of the like fable about the, the kid, you know, trying to stick his finger in all the holes in the dikes. Like you're not going to hold back the flood that way. Like there's always going to be you know more holes. You really have to like build a better dike. Yeah. I, I like to think about leaks because, you know, I like the thought that if you have some uh, something that's emitting water, you know, some, some hole and something you're trying to plug it with, like the shape of the thing has to be right. And and on the sort of Ed Miller pyramid analogy, I like the idea that the, the shape of, of all my ranges fitting together it has to be right. To, so that's, that's where I'm coming from um, semiotically uh, when I talk about leaks. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think that that's another word you're only only going to hear on our podcast semiotically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I don't know what else. What, what else about like finding? You, you, let's say you've just played poker all day. Mm-hmm. What what do you do to get better in in light of that day's play that you think the the modal poker player does not do? Um, I'm. Flagging. So while I'm playing, I'm flagging any spot that I get into. I think this relates to your point, Nate, about um, about like what kinds of spots to identify to, to work on. Like I'm any time that I find myself in a situation where I'm sort of like, uh, it's not. I'm not real confident in what the right play is here. It has nothing to do with 
the well at least in theory i mean probably i'm a little biased towards like large pots or, or pots that i lose but i try not to be you know it, as much as possible it's just like if i find myself it might be as, as simple like many of these are just like flop bet spots where i'm like i don't know if i'm supposed to bet here or like what's what bet size would be optimal um if, if i find myself in that kind of spot i tag the hand and then i, I don't look over 100 percent of these but at least like anytime i'm looking to do some some study i have like a you know, a batch of spots that I want to investigate more closely. And I'll try to look for patterns in those. So once I've flagged a bunch of hands of like, here's some spots where you weren't sure what to do, I'll see, okay, a lot of these have to do with, you know, C betting at, uh, with very low stack to pot ratios, for instance. And, so, and like in general, I think I understand um, strategy related to, you know, how do you determine C betting frequency and how do you determine C bet size? I think I understand that stuff pretty well, but I haven't studied as much of very low SPRs. And so if I can identify that's like a specific thing that I need to work on, and that again, that's like a topic that I need to study. That's not just my C betting frequency is too high. Because even if I had determined that that's true, that my C betting frequency is too high, that doesn't tell me like, which hand should I should I not be betting? Um, are there certain flop textures that I'm betting too much? Like what I really need to do is I need to better understand the the theory of these different situations. And um, so again, like I'm I'm kind of studying that not just to fix my play in on a specific hand, but to to identify a concept that I need to understand better. And I do think that trying to work on um, so like th- there, there's kind of two different facets to this i mean there's there's identifying the thing that you need to work on and then there's the actual working on it and i think too many people kind of just skip straight to the second one um where they just sort of anytime that they make a mistake they're like okay how do i not make that mistake again and they're not even it's not even always obvious that they did make a mistake like their determination they might have made a mistake could easily just be that they didn't like the outcome of the hand and they're like okay well how do i how do i make sure i don't lose that pot again um so i I think like first even trying to identify what are the areas you need to work on but then you know you're not going to be able to work on everything at once i think this is even more true if you are a you know not you're not a professional poker player so you're it's not like you have uh you know hours and hours a week to be studying like you want to put some of that time into playing and you only have so much time period so you really want your studying to be focused on something i think the more that you pick a concept and decide okay this is like the main thing i'm going to be working on and if that thing is like getting your big blind calling ranges right then before you play you study okay these are the big blind calling ranges for various situations i have a sense of like how they're changing with stack sizes and you have that as your focus for the next session that you say like i mean you you study that concept with whatever you know a time you have allocated for studying and you're not just generally like i want to get better at poker you have a a pretty specific topic that you're working on that you can make concrete progress on and then when you the next time that you play i mean of course you're going to try to play every situation right but you know you really have a focus on trying to get those particular ones right and wanting to tag hands where you are not sure on that particular decision Um, and, and maybe you're more aggressive about tagging hands where you're not clear on on a you know, decision about whether to defend from the big blind more so than if you're facing a river shove or something like that I, I think the more that you kind of try to improve on everything at once um like i mean i deal with this all the time in coaching where people just have like so many inputs from different places and they're like they're reading books they're listening to podcasts they're watching uh you know various streams and things and they're just like picking up these little tidbits of strategy from everywhere and they're not i mean some of it's wrong some of it's contradictory some of it they just don't understand the context for so they think it's contradictory uh and then like it's all just sort of swirling around in their brains and when they play they just sort of like 
the, the situation that they're in resonates with something they heard somewhere. And then like, I think I heard someone say you're supposed to bet in this situation. Um, and that's, that's kind of the opposite of, of what I'm suggesting. Yeah. Yeah. For me, there's some anxiety that comes from knowing how high the bar is these days relative to how high it used to be. And the idea that I might be far short of it um, is really scary to me. And, and when I do try to improve, I feel like I have to learn everything all at once because like there's so much to learn and I just feel like everybody's a crusher out there and just the bar is so, so, so high. Now that said, like the higher the bar is, the more important it is to actually learn the components properly and not run around. Um, yeah, this is, it's funny. Software is the same thing. There's like so much to know and like you'll have a hundred people telling you that these are the hundred skills you absolutely have to have. And it's just so much better to get very, very, very solid on, you know, one or two at a time and then just slowly progress. I think poker is the same way. Um, but anyway, I think that's my partial diagnosis of, uh, the effect you're seeing. Yeah, I think that's understandable. And one thing I would say is, you know, so you like one way to organize or like decide what problem you're going to attack first is like what's the the biggest problem or where would be the potential biggest value add to fix. But um, I, I think sometimes people overestimate that because they focus a lot on on big pots and big pots don't come up that often. They often involve spots that don't come up that often, like, you know, facing a river shove, you know, the majority of hands you play are not going to go to the river. And even when they do go to the river, they're not always going to involve a river shove. So, you know, studying calling ranges for a river shove, uh, you know, often those are like emotionally significant pots, but it might actually, might not actually be the most important thing. So your topics that come up often, um, and that's, you know, I've focused on things like big blind defense rages, flopsy vetting strategy, defense against flopsy See, that's is another um, one that you know, the, the more often the situation comes up, the more useful it's going to be to study it, uh, but also the easier it is to study. And preflop ranges are super easy for this because you can literally just find answers to this. <laughs> like, this is something that, um, and, and really, I mean, the, the, my go-to resource for this is uh, Modern Poker Theory, um, which Michael Acevedo's book, and he's got solved ranges in there for uh, 100 big blind, six max cash games, and for tournament games uh, of various stack sizes. And that's not to say that you want your ranges to be, I mean, all the usual caveats about game theory and equilibrium strategy apply. Like, there are plenty of exploitative reasons reasons why you wouldn't want to copy those strategies exactly, but if your preflop strategy differs significantly from what a solved strategy looks like, um, you should at least understand why, and most likely if you look at those charts, and then this was true for me, like when you look at those charts, you're going to see some things that you're like, oh wow, I'm not doing that, I don't have a good reason why I'm not doing that, I should probably experiment with doing that. <laughs> um, so things where like there is a, like, we don't have a lot of right answers in, in poker, there's not a lot of things where you can just go and look up the answer. And you know, when those things do exist, I think there's a pretty big value add to you know, finding them and looking at them. Yeah, absolutely. And also, that'll help you call river shoves better too. Like it's all connected, right? right? Yes. Getting your other range. That's so that's like the easiest way to help your river game. Easiest way to help yourself in big pots is to play the right, play the right hands before the flop and on the flop. Yeah. So often the answer to like, how do I handle this, this difficult spot is just like, yes, that is a very difficult spot. And, um, ideally your play on earlier street like there's there's often not a good way like i mean you have the kind of hand if you have a bluff catcher and you're facing a shovel in the river 
I mean, unless you have some read on the opponent, there's not going to be, even if there is a right answer, the, the EV difference between making the right play and the wrong play is probably small. Um, so the, the objective really is just like, uh, how do you, like, are there things you could have done to not end up in that bad spot in the first place? Did, did you enable your opponent to put you in that spot as a result of having a, you know, a bad range on an earlier street? Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. That's about what I have to say about this. I was going to say, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's given people a lot to um, to chew on. And again, if you want to hear more context for this, or if you just want to hear a lot more strategy from us, uh, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. Uh, also, Carlos is part of it, if you're listening oh, to this. Oh, yeah, that's, our, that's our the single biggest selling point. Carlos. How did we not mention that? <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com thinking poker daily coming to you five days a week every weekday including uh so far christmas eve christmas new year's eve new year's and martin luther king day (laughs) Uh, well thanks nate it was fun talking to you yeah it was great hope you have a great rest of the day uh and happy 2021 you as well of a car, the light of the fair passage of a bill, and the will sign.